how does a young guy in his 30s, the owner of a summer college league baseball team in a small market, become a national sensation? It goes beyond the yellow tuxedo he wears to the games, or the fun videos his staff helps with, or the crazy on-field promotions. No, Jesse Cole is really about encouraging other people in business to find their yellow tux, the thing that makes you and your business stand out. In his case, every game is sold out and there's a waiting list. So let's talk about putting fans first with Jesse Cole, that guy in the yellow tux, on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Carr, and let's get right into the reason that I tracked down this particular guest for the Manager Message podcast. I was born and grew up in a small town, Swainsboro, Georgia. The major city in Georgia is Atlanta, of course, but that was for us more than a three-hour drive away. The nearest cities for entertainment or shopping or anything different were Macon to the west and Savannah to the east. Savannah was the favorite. It's a really interesting city, has a lot of history, America's first planned city. It's close to Hilton Head and Charleston, South Carolina, too. Nice destination for a trip, and no, I don't get a kickback from the Convention and Visitors Bureau. In any event, when I was growing up, there was a minor league baseball team called the Savannah Braves. They were, I think, the lowest level team in the Atlanta Braves minor league system. And the Savannah Braves played in this neat historic field named Grayson Stadium. So sometimes we would take in a game. And it was the nice, laid back, traditional baseball experience. Today, baseball is a far different animal when it comes to viewership, attendance, and what fans, especially younger fans, want. Compared to football, basketball, MMA, Fortnite, whatever, high-energy, fast-paced forms of entertainment. Well, a yellow-clad force of nature came to Savannah about three years ago and has shown the world, and I include the larger world of business beyond baseball, what it takes today to get attention, motivate a team, create a remarkable customer experience, be the ticket, the thing that people remember and talk about and to be profitable even in a small niche market. That yellow-clad force of nature is with us today. He's named Jesse Cole. He's not a native Southerner like your host, but that's okay. He went to Wofford College in South Carolina as a pitcher for their baseball team. A shoulder injury put an end to his playing career, but eventually led to his true calling. Jesse and his wife Emily have taken two summer college league baseball teams, the most recent being the Savannah Bananas, done pretty much the opposite of what any otherwise reasonable and sane team owner would be expected to do, and in a time when baseball generally is declining, have created a huge success. For two seasons, they have sold out every home game and now have a waiting list in the thousands. Jesse put his ideas into a book called Find Your Yellow Tux, right here, does speaking and podcasting, and is now dad to a son named Maverick, which seems to fit the Cole way of doing things. After this podcast, you're going to want to buy Jesse's book, check out the Savannah Bananas videos and news coverage all over YouTube and the web, and you'll be inspired with ideas for standing out even if you never wear a yellow tux and hat. 
Jesse Cole, welcome to our big messaging show. Wow, I'm impressed. You are a storyteller, my friend. What an intro, and so excited to be with you today. Well, you give me a lot of material to draw from, Jesse. <laughs> well, you <laughs> dug a little bit. You dug deep and found some good stuff there. Uh, it's all about preparation. We're going audio here, so let's set the visual stage a little bit. So you and your wife, and correct me on if I got any of the details wrong, but you owned a similar team in Gastonia, North Carolina, and you turned that around and got it growing. You established this college summer team in Savannah in 2016. Now, Savannah had that class A minor league professional team had moved out of town. And so you have this new team. It's in a lower classification. So we want everyone to understand this is, it's not major league. It's not minor league. It's you're inviting college players, right? Into summer ball. <laughs> yes, it's college summer baseball. We're one of the lowest levels. I mean, they're great college players, but this isn't professional. They are playing here for development. And so that's what makes the story really unique in the sense that professional baseball, unfortunately, or fortunately for us, failed here in Savannah. They couldn't draw enough fans. They wanted a new stadium. The city wasn't willing to do that based on the attendance. So they left and then gave us the opportunity to come to Savannah, which has been a fairy tale, to say the least. And so to that point, so the uh, the minor league team had gone. You had this stadium, historic stadium that needed some help. So obviously the answer is bring in a lower classification team. And I looked back and I understand that the local daily newspaper called the Savannah Morning News, it helps solicit entries for a name the team contest. You selected the Savannah Bananas. And by the way, I looked back at the local news reports at the time. They said the other finalists were the, get this, the Savannah Anchors, Ports, Seagulls, and Party Animals. So I could see why you picked Bananas, but the name got national attention, but I guess it was not an immediate universal hit in Savannah, was it? No. And it was really interesting to think that it was just three years ago. We showed up that first day in October 5th, uh, 2015. And, you know, the former team had cut the phone lines, they cut the internet, and we were working in an old storage building. You know, I'm sitting in that office now that we've painted up and, you know, made it our own now. But it was amazing that we started there. And the beginning, the community didn't buy into us. You know, we tried to get as much attention. We used the newspaper to try to get interest. And we got interest on names, but not interest in buying tickets. And it wasn't until February 25th, 2016, that we announced the name as the Bananas. We chose to go dramatically different and outrageous to create attention because we knew that would get people to at least notice that we're here. And then what happened from that point on was unbelievable. And, you know, I really believe attention beats marketing 1000% of the time. And we needed to create that attention or no one would really be talking about the Savannah Bananas right now. So when you took a look at what you had to work with. So the traditional way of looking at it would be, oh, it's, it's the stadium, it's the quality of the team. I'm imagining you drew on your experience with the Gastonia team, but how do you in that, in that storage room and you're trying to, to get everybody excited and trying to figure what you have to work with? Where did you start? <laughs> we gained a ton of experience in Gastonia and that's where we started. You know, I was just 23 years old and it was the lowest performing college summer team in the country. I mean, they had less than 200 fans coming to the games and no one paid attention to that team. And we had to reinvent there. And we started trying 
ridiculous things like grandma beauty pageants. We did a dig to China night where we actually buried a one-way certificate flight to China, but no accommodations and no flight back. I mean, we were coming up with the most ridiculous ideas in Gastonia. What was second prize? Oh, second, yeah, you didn't get anything else. I mean, we did everything and it was the whole premise. What we realized later was it's whatever's normal to the exact opposite. In case in point, we actually had a, a night called Backwards Night where we had fans walk into the stadium backwards. We thanked them for coming. Then we started the game in the top of the ninth <laughs> inning, went backwards the entire game. Then after the game, we had the first pitch. We had the national anthem, and our announcer read the pregame announcements for 30 minutes as fans were leaving the stadium. And, you know, what happened was people started talking about us. We realized, you know what? We're not in the business of baseball and wins and losses. We're in the business of entertainment. We're in the business of creating an amazing fan experience. And when we realized what business we're in, it made it very clear what we were trying to do. So when we came to Savannah, we knew it failed because they focused only on the baseball. It wasn't about the fans. It wasn't about entertaining them. So when we first came in, and even though it was in an abandoned storage building, and it was just myself, my wife, our 24-year-old president at the time, and three 22-year-olds right out of college, we had this unbelievable belief that we could be successful. And I think that's something that everyone needs to realize. If you want to be successful and you want to go all in, you have to believe and we believed it. Even though the community wasn't believing in us, we knew we had something different. And that's when we put all the effort and energy into trying to convince and share with the city what we're trying to do. Let's fast forward a bit to the game day experience in Grayson Stadium. And then we can talk about the uneven and unconventional path that you've used to get there. So you have this historic stadium, holds about 4,000 people. Is that right? Yes, we get in a little over that. We underannounce our attendance some nights because of fire code. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, local authorities in uh, Savannah, Chatham <laughs> County, uh, we'll try to not have that part of it. So what's it like for the fan in terms of what their ticket is like? When they park, they're walking in, not yet been to a Savannah Bananas game. I- I'm hoping uh, maybe in-, in 2019 I can do that. But You've got a pep band, you're out there in your yellow tuxedo, you've got your whole, not just team, but uh, the staff around the baseball team itself. I'm not doing this justice, Jesse. So what is that experience like visually and, uh, and the music and everything else going on for the fans? I think once you know what business you're really in, it makes your decision making extremely easy. And when we knew that we were 100% in the entertainment business, we said, all right, what would be the most entertaining experience for our fans? And I believe the point that every business, everyone has to start as what I call is a mirror moment. And you need to put yourself in the customer's shoes and realize what frustrates you about the business or the industry that you're in. And Jim, we actually we actually have a thing called Undercover Fan, where our entire staff goes undercover as a fan during a night during the season, where we dress up as a fan, we park like a fan, we go through the lines, we go through the entire experience so we can put ourselves in our customer's shoes. And when we first did that, we realized that you know what, there's something interesting going on. When you go to a ballpark, usually you get nickel and dimed. You know, you're paying five bucks for this, seven bucks for this, eight bucks for this. And, you know, for hot dogs, soda, beer, you name it, it adds up. And then you sit and watch a baseball game. What would be the opposite experience to create the most entertainment possible? And that's what we started thinking. So we developed our all-you-can-eat tickets, which includes all your burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, and dessert for all less than 20 bucks. It's 18 bucks now, which is crazy. And then we said, all right, How can we entertain them? So we thought a pep band, you see them in football games, you see them sometimes at hockey. Why could you not add that to a baseball game? Because it's so slow. So we added a pep band. Then I thought, you know what? During the game, it's so slow and boring. Could we have 
a coach that actually breaks dances in the middle of the game. So we developed our first break dancing coach who will literally do Michael Jackson moonwalk into Destiny's Child, Say My Name. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> what he does in the middle of the game. And then we thought, all right, what's normal? You know, you have young cheerleaders. Well, we said, no, let's get the Banana Nanas, a senior citizen dance team, and that are in their 60s and 70s, and, and they dance to all the new songs and hip hop. So again, it, thought, it came with that premise of what business are we in, and let's go all out. So when you come up to our games, you're going to see things you've never seen before. I mean, this past year, we fit 15 people in a porta john. Does that make any sense? Of course not. But people are watching 15 people stuff themselves into a porter john. That's ridiculous. We always go that premise of expect the unexpected. And we want people to leave a ballpark saying, you won't believe what I saw at the game today. And when our players are doing choreographed dances in the middle of the game, literally doing unbelievable dances, and then they're delivering roses to little girls in the crowd, it's really a special moment. And we're constantly innovating. Like last year, we had our players go on dates with fans in the middle of the game, go on a date with a you know a nice dinner set up. We'd have our saxophone player uh, start <laughs> serenading them playing saxophone. I mean, it was ridiculous. And that's the experience because you can only create memories. And that's what we realized. Maybe they'll take a shirt home. Maybe they'll buy a hat. But what's that memory? What's that moment that we create? When you put that together, it's really unbelievable. And we think it's magical. And you can imagine those fans the next day, the next week, and they're talking to their friends in town about, you won't believe what they did at the Bananas game. You know, there was a so-and-so and describing it to them. And I guess that's how it continues to reinforce itself. Like, not just did you go to the game, but why wouldn't you be there? Because you'd kind of be left out of the thing that's going on in town. Yeah, it's what is the story you're creating and how are you making people feel? And if we make people feel amazing and they're telling stories of the night, that's the most powerful marketing attention getter there is. And that's why my favorite moment every single night is at the end of the games when we have our pep band set up on stage, we have all of our players, our fans outside the gate, and we are just thanking the fans and we are dancing with them and we're singing with them. And we have a s'more station set up where we're giving away free s'mores. It's this unbelievable feeling of family and that we've created something together. And it's not just us putting on the show. You know, we actually have 4,000 fans dance during the game. Hey, baby, we have 4,000 fans singing and doing a sing-off back and forth, literally singing at the top of their lungs. They're a part of the experience together. We feel like we built that. Whether the team wins or loses, we are a part of something. And if you can have a business create that, it's something that you want to be a part of, and you'll do everything you can to be a part of it more and more. You remind me of something, and I'm not sure that that if, if there been a comparison made between what you are doing with the Savannah Bananas and the Masters Golf Tournament. But I do think there, there's a comparison. The Masters is one of the, the major championships in golf. It's held every year at a private club, uh, Augusta National Golf Club, just up the road from you in Augusta. I had, I was lucky when I was a child, when my parents were alive, they had tickets to the Masters every year. And that's a hard get. But the thing that struck me, and that set my expectation about what a big sporting event would be like, and it just completely ruined me. But while it is and when we talk about the Masters, I need to lower my voice and say, hello, friends, a tradition unlike any other. So it's not crazy wild, of course, but there's a consistency and there's a way that you feel what they call a patron. You are referred to as a patron for the tournament. You're not a ticket holder. You're not uh, just someone who's showing up. And there's a vibe that's there. You mentioned, like, what is it that frustrates people about going to your type of business? And as you mentioned, you go to a baseball game or a golf tournament or a football game or a concert, and the concessions are usually low quality and really expensive. 
You know, it's like, oh, okay, I want to, I want to grab a beer and it's going to be, you know, eight bucks. And the food concessions at the master is very, very inexpensive and very high quality. The trash receptacles are green bags. Everything's green. And it just has the word thanks on there. So everything is done with a kind of a consistency. It's a level of respect. It's respect for the fans, the patrons who show up. Obviously a very different vibe, but all the things that you describe at a Savannah Bananas game is high energy. It's participatory. The fans are part of the experience, but everything's consistent taken together, right? So you're getting this feeling of like, I as a fan am the most important element of this whole experience. And it's something that I'm doing with these 3,999 plus other people as well. I don't know if anyone's ever kind of made that comparison for you or just in terms of other regular sporting events or entertainment events. No, I haven't. It's interesting to, to say that we're compared to any form of golf is interesting because most people would say that golf is very slow sport other than the waste management where they have the hole where everyone's yelling and screaming. But, you know, the <laughs> Masters, I think you said a really good thing there. It's almost the class and the professionalism. You feel like you're special. And I think that's how they make you feel. And again, if you start there, start at the emotion first. You know, we want people to feel, you know, unbelievably thrilled, shocked, laughter. You know, we've been talking about this recently, but happy tears. You know, we've developed things where we do such special moments for fans that we had a young seven-year-old kid last year who had a big sign who was holding it up and trying to get my attention. And I came over, his name was Cameron, and I took a picture with him and he got so excited. And I said, Cameron, that picture is going to be on Facebook. He goes, Facebook? And I go, Yeah. And I said, uh, he goes, wow, that's amazing. So I went down and I grabbed a signed baseball bat and a logo ball and I delivered it to him. And he started just crying, getting so emotional. I go, Cameron, are you okay? He goes, don't worry, don't worry. These are happy tears. They're happy tears. And his mother started crying. And he said it was the best night he's ever had. And at the state at the end of the game, he gave me a big hug. And when you can create those moments for an eight-year-old, for an 80-year-old, it's things they'll never forget. And that's what we try to teach our staff. And just with your whole theme of managing your message, those are the stories we tell over and over again. And you just mentioned the masters. You didn't necessarily talk about something they did, but you talked about how you felt. And when you talk about how you feel, there's nothing more powerful. That's exactly right. Let's go back a little bit now. So this is a, a three-year window of a remarkable turnaround. And this whole culture and vibe and feeling Fans First Message. In fact, that's the name of your company, right? Fans First Entertainment? Yes, it's Fans First Entertainment. Our mission is Fans First, entertain always. And every decision we make, it goes through the filter. Is it Fans First? We have a Fans First way with our core beliefs. I bet you we say Fans First at our stadium probably 100 times a day. It's unbelievable. Well, you just have to keep repeating that and continue to reinforce that culture. You can look at the remarkable growth that you've had and the change that you led over a three-year period, but there are a lot along the way to get you there. You come in, you've got this name, people I suspect in Savannah are looking for the reasons that this team will fail, just like uh, when the other the minor league team had moved away. You certainly set yourself up as a focal point, but let's talk a little bit about that, the decisions you made, how you've led that, and then how you got buy-in over time. The story of the yellow tux itself, as I recall, it was not initially a yellow tux, but what, what kind of led you to say, you know, somebody's got to take the lead here and I'm the owner. I've got to be the face of this team in this community. What led you there? 
I remember vividly when I was 23 years old and just starting in Gastonian, the worst team in the country. And I went to the Fun is Good conference by Mike Veck and the son of Bill Veck, who is one of my biggest mentors. As I mentioned, I have a custom-made poster of him right behind my office, which says, innovation, I don't break the rules, but I merely test their elasticity. And that was Bill Veck through and through. So I went to his conference and Mike Veck told me, I said, Mike, I just got advice. I'm taking over this struggling team. And he said, Jesse, two things. He goes, you got to be the face of the team and you got to get a little crazy. And so we started being crazy. I started getting out there speaking, but I realized I was the showman on the field that I was, you know, pieing fans and having dance off contests. And I was myself getting an eating contest with fans in the middle of the game. It was crazy. But just wearing a polo and regular pants like the rest of the staff didn't fit. So I said, if I'm a showman, I got to go all out. So I teamed up with a bridal and formal place and found a tuxedo with the tails and a top hat. And it was the first night, it was 100 degrees, it was a black tuxedo, and I almost melted. It was unbelievable in that black tuxedo. I was like, this doesn't work. So I searched online, I said, you know what, is there one that's like a lighter color, yellow, potentially? And I found, it actually exists, brightcoloredtuxedos.com, and I found a yellow tuxedo, and I shipped it overnight, and I wore it for the next game. And from that moment on, I became kind of the yellow tux guy, and people were taking pictures with me, and my staff said they always knew where I was, and uh, it, it just became this thing that was who I was. So it was very ironic that it worked out that the team that we chose was the Savannah Bananas because nothing could fit more because now I'm called Banana Guy, Banana Man, Yellow, you, you name it. I'm, I've probably been called it. <laughs> well, I was wondering if kind of chicken versus egg and tuxedo versus banana, which came first? It was definitely the tuxedo as the showman, and now it just fits even more with the bananas. Okay. Well, you know, there is some level of heat and humidity in Savannah, Georgia in the summertime when you play. So how many yellow tuxes do you have? How many does it take in order to make sure something's clean? You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was I was 225 pounds as a college athlete. You know, I was a, a strong college baseball player. And since I've started wearing the tuxedos, and I own seven of them, I've actually lost like 50 pounds because I sweat through them in the middle of the heat and the humidity, and it keeps me going. <laughs> but yes, I own seven of them. And a cool story about that, I had six and I've been fortunate to be speaking around the country, sharing kind of the fans first way. And my staff came together and they surprised me and they got a custom yellow tuxedo made for me that could actually fit me better. They said, if you're going to be speaking all over the country and representing us, you can't look like a clown anymore. And I don't know if they got the point. I'm still in a yellow tuxedo, still looking like a clown, but at least it fits me better. <laughs> well, and I would imagine when you started out with just one, and if you're eating food at the ball game, they're saying, Jesse, do you want ketchup and mustard on your hot dogs? No, no, no. Mustard only. If I spill that, <laughs> I can still get away with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's been fun. You know, I've really tried to embrace this. And I think a lot of people kind of go a fear of dressing differently or doing things differently. And, and I've gone through that as well. You know, I was very comfortable wearing it at the stadium. And then I started wearing it every day and I wear it around town. And now, you know, I wear it when I go to conferences and wear it in the airport. And the looks that I get, especially from like TSA, they're like, what is wrong with this guy? It was challenging at first, but then I've really embraced it. And I think you very rarely regret the things you do. You regret the things you didn't do. And I'm, I'm happy that I've been able to embrace it. And it's really become part of our brand and who I am and who we are. I'm curious as well, when you got to that point, you got the advice of like, look, you got to do things maybe completely opposite of what people would normally expect. And you have to be the face. You've got to be the leader and you've got to be visible in the community. You got to get buy-in from your staff, recruit people uh, that have a similar mindset. Your wife, who apparently is the real hero of this story as well, but also imagining the, the players, because you involve the players. They're, as you say, they're, they're dancing, they're doing things, they're talking to fans. So how was that 
process in terms of getting the staff around you and getting buy-in from players. And I think this is such a great point to your whole message is you have to share your story over and over and over again and be repeatable. And I've made it a point to jump on every stage, podcasts, interviews, just to continue to share who we are and what we believe in. And I think that started to gravitate and bring people towards us that want to be a part of it. It's not necessarily finding people that just want to work for you. you got to find people that believe what you believe. And that's why we're so adamant about sharing our fans' first way, our core beliefs, who we are and what we stand for. In the beginning, it's extremely tough. (laughs) <laughs> the first day in Gastonia back in 2008 and before they started their opening practice that I brought a dance instructor. I said, guys, before we practice, you're going to learn how to dance. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, guys, we're going to try to get the fans into the games this year. We were the lowest in attendance in the country last year. This is what we're going to do. And I had players, uh, one in particular, that walked said, I'm not dancing. I'm here to pitch. And he walked all the way to the bullpen. But the other guys, they learned how to dance. They weren't great dancers. Let's put it that way. They played baseball much better than they could dance. But I remember (laughs) the first few games, they started dancing and the fans started getting into it. I remember walking through the crowd and I was ready. I heard a a woman say to her husband, shut up, honey. They're about to dance. She was literally, you know, so excited to watch them dance. And so these players became the most popular players, the ones that were dancing. They were signing the most autographs. The fans were calling them by name. So that one pitcher who said, I'm not going to dance. He all of a sudden, halfway through the season, I saw him on the field ripping his belt off and going all out (laughs) dancing, and he became the most popular dancer. I found out a few years later, he was on a billboard in LA. He's now a male model. (laughs) So it's crazy the way things turn, but I'll say the same thing in Savannah. In the beginning, it was very tough to share the vision and who we are and what we're trying to do. But now as you have success, and we've been fortunate to sell it every game, and you mentioned the wait list, people say, this is who we are, and this is what we stand for. And our coach is adamant in sharing. These are the videos, guys. If you can't be a part of this, it doesn't matter how good of a ball player you are. You're not going to fit in. And I think so many businesses try to find the most skilled people and the most talented people. Well, you need to find people who believe what you believe. And we probably miss out on some of the top players in the country. But here's what we realize. By putting on our show, by doing the fun things, by entertaining and getting the right people who believe what we believe, we end up winning more games than any other team. In the three years of the Bananas, we've won a championship. We've gone to the the conference championship two other years, and we've had more wins than our team. And it's not because of the most talented players. It's because players that believe what we believe, they're in on the culture. And now we're able to share that story over and over again. And it's an unbelievable cycle that happens when you start at the top of who you are and what you stand for. And, you know, I would imagine for these young men, these college baseball players, that experience for them, if they buy into it, then they are able to show themselves whether they can progress in professional baseball, you know, their ability to, to kind of be a leader, to be coachable, to have the right sort of positive vibe to their teammates has got to be a little bit of a selling point for them. You know, apparently you, you got some uh, hunky guys there, you know, the guy who's male model now off on the West Coast. They probably didn't necessarily see it at the time. As you said, some of the slower converts are like, I'm here to play baseball. Well, but that's not the complete story, is it? No. And I'm very open with the guys. We spend with all of our employees, even our players, we spend days on the onboarding process and the orientation and educating them who we are. And I'm clear with the guys, guys, I want to give you something that I never had. You know, and I realized that I absolutely loved playing baseball but I played in front of a couple hundred fans. I remember my summer ball experiences. I remember one team, we averaged about 46 fans a game, and it was just a dead energy, and it wasn't that fun. 
And I said, guys, I want to give you this experience that can make this the best sum of your life, the most fun you've ever played. Maybe this is the last time you play baseball. Maybe you don't play in professional baseball, but I never want you to forget your time in Savannah. To do that, we are going to create this experience for you and the fans, and you are a big part of it. It's not just what you're doing on the field. It's what you're doing in the crowd with the fans and the whole experience that we provide. And so I think so many people, you know, build a business that you want to be a part of. Build a business that would make you happy. I realized that I love playing baseball, but I don't enjoy watching it. So now I'm trying to create a game that I love watching just as much as playing. And I think when you are transparent with the players and what you're trying to create, it really builds something special. In terms of things that people remember, some of the crazy promotions and on the field, you mentioned a few of them as well. And if you could talk about, Jesse, some of the ones that it worked the best, some maybe that didn't work, but you still learned something along the way. And your process for coming up with crazy ideas to continue to have that that positive gravitational pull in the community. We've done a lot of promotions that have failed, and I share it in my book, Find Your Yellow Tux. To get to the step where you can really be successful and, and constantly innovating, you have to do a lot of small bets, and you have to take a lot of chances. And things that won't kill you. So for instance, we did salute to underwear night where we threw out underwear in the crowd, but if you got a free ticket, if you wore underwear on the outside of your pants and it was the most unfamily friendly night we've ever done. The underwear these people were wearing <laughs> was nasty. And like, I think 63 people did it, got free tickets and they were probably about half of the crowd we had that night. The other half was like media trying to figure out what we were doing. Uh, that was a failure. A pregnant night, you and your future kid get a free ticket, a two for one night. That didn't make any sense. We had craving stations with peanut butter and pickles. And uh, if you were in your third trimester, you got to throw out the first pitch. <laughs> I think we had 12 pregnant people show up. You know, flatulence, fun night. We had a bean burritian contest. We gave gave away whoopee cushions at the gate. But when the whoopee cushions showed up, they were about half the size. They were about the size of a, a sand dollar. So we turned it into kids whoopee cushion giveaway night and you couldn't even hear the noises that were happening. <laughs> I mean, we tried all these things. World's largest pillow fight. We had, you know, mariachi bands playing. You know, we constantly try new things. The world's largest tickets. I thought, I really honestly believed that we could create tickets that were not the same as normal tickets that were the size of these human sized posters and people would save them as souvenirs. The fans hated them. They were outraged. They were like, "These are the what are we supposed to do with these? We can't even fit them in our pockets." And and it was it was like an uproar of our fans. But you know, we learned from it. And I think the question you asked at the end is, how do we come up with this? And I did it again today. To come up with ideas, you have to work your idea muscle. You know, if you want to stay in good shape, it's not just doing one workout. It's working out every day. It's being consistent. If you want to eat healthy, you can't just eat healthy once. I write ten ideas every single morning. And I've been doing this for years and I have books that just go through it. It's training me to think differently. Is this a good idea? Is this not a good idea? I guarantee if you went through my idea book, you'd be like, these are the, one of the worst ideas I've ever heard. But you know what? There are some that are gold in there. And the premise that we always do is whatever's normal, do the exact opposite. So I write down what are the normal things that teams do? And then I say, what would be the exact opposite? And that's how we start coming up with these ideas. And it's fun every year. What can we do differently to create even more attention? One of our uh, prior guests on the podcast is named Mark Levy, and he has worked with a lot of entertainers and athletes, authors, even Simon Sinek. And he talks about your big, sexy idea, the thing that sets you apart. And he put it in a kind of a similar way. He said, just think about what people in your market, what have they been getting over and over again? What makes you different in a way that they'll talk about? And it seems like you're on a nice machinery there of coming up with different kinds of ideas that are just the opposite of what people have been getting and expecting over and over again. And that's the best form of marketing. And you can look at every whatever business you're in, 
Whatever business, look at every product you sell. How do you sell it? A, is it hitting the friction points? Is it the best possible experience? And then will people talk about this? Is it, is it different? I mean, to give you an example, it's not just the promotions on the field. We sell merchandise like any other team. We're very fortunate. We've been selling worldwide with our merchandise, but it's not just because we're selling shirts and hats. Last year, we came up with Dolce and Banana underwear. Like literally, we came up with uh, underwear that was tidy whities We had two sizes. We had big banana with a big banana on the crotch and then small banana with a small banana on the crotch. And I can guess which one sold more. Not even close. I think 98% the big banana has been outselling the, <laughs> the, the small banana. But then we released a video, a black and white vignette of one of our performers, you know, that's a slightly overweight and pouring water over his face. And it was ridiculous, but it created attention. And we started selling underwear. Why are people buying our underwear? I don't know. But the reason is it's different. It's, it's unique. And that's the only thing I could think that they're buying it. And so again, what are you doing that everyone else is doing and how can you change and go the exact opposite? I'm sensing among our listeners, they're getting a lot of energy. They're, they're thinking through different ideas. How may I approach my type of business really from a, an opposite direction that'll get attention? However, as we've noted on the show and I've written about some extroverts are not necessarily the best messengers. They're not necessarily the most effective salespeople. And most people aren't extroverts. So that's okay. The those who might say, look, I could never be that guy like Jesse. You know, I cannot imagine wearing a yellow tuxedo and hat. I can't be that upfront person who's the focal point. That's not me. But in your experience, even if they're not that kind of person, how can they help lead a business, lead a team to generate new ideas, innovations, get past fear of failure, and grow nonetheless? You know, I challenge everyone to look at their given day. And what are they doing during the day where they're watching the clock, where time's going by slow? And what are they doing where they lose track of time? And I think we all end up today, more than anything, putting out fires. You know, we're just constantly firefighting. You know, people are saying how busy they are. Well, busy is not a badge of honor. <laughs> we don't need to be proud of being busy. My best days are the days when I'm creating, when I'm you know, on the field, I'm being a showman, we're coming up with different video ideas. And I try to do more of that. When I'm doing the other stuff, it doesn't get me anywhere. And I think we need to really stop and, and look in the mirror and say, are we doing what's lighting us up, what's firing us up? It doesn't necessarily have to be getting in a yellow tuxedo and being a showman. But if you're doing something that you're just unbelievably fired up, you'll be very successful. And there's different ways of doing it. I, I'll give you the story of Kiki. I mean, Kiki was an intern for us two years ago. She literally just came in very shy and, you know, you could just tell she had something in her, but she was shy. She was just walking around the office trying to find her place. And I knew there was something in there. So I challenged her. I said, Kiki, I would love for you to sell beer during this, during this game. And she goes, sell beer? And I go, yeah, I want you to sell and get into it. She's like, okay, okay. And so literally halfway through the, the game, I'm walking by the concourse and I see this giant line outside of Kiki's beer station. And I hear Kiki saying, get tipsy with Kiki. <laughs> and she was literally singing, chanting, and she made it her own. And it was the most beer we've ever sold, the most tips we've ever had from a beer station. And after the game, I said, Kiki, what was that? She goes, I was just having fun. I go, do that all the time. So then Kiki starts answering the phone saying, Savannah Bananas, this is Kiki. She starts getting up and greeting people when they come into the stadium, giving them hugs. Now Kiki, three years later, is our director of first impressions, and she oversees a staff of 150 people. She had the courage to come out of her shell and be her whole self. And I think she needed a little encouragement from me and our staff. 
But there's so many of us, whether you're an introvert or extrovert, so many of us don't bring our whole self to work. We're keeping ourselves kind of hidden behind. We don't showcase who we are. We're not real with people. And our whole self, Kiki, she had it in her. We just try to encourage it. And now we recognize it constantly. So she's not, you know, the huge showman. She's not a showwoman. She's just out there having fun. And I would challenge anybody, are you actually having fun in your day? And what are those things that make it fun for you? How do you do more of that? You mentioned, Jesse, that you've had some heroes, some people whose careers that you admired, people like P.T. Barnum, Ultimate Showman, Bill Veck, who brought a lot of that sensibility for innovation and crazy ideas to baseball. Uh, you also mentioned Walt Disney. And it strikes me from that story, you know, Walt Disney was certainly the, the name and the face of his organization, but he wasn't a wild showman. What he did was recruit some of the best animators and storytellers and found ways to draw the best out of them. And I think that's a lot of what you're touching on. What is it, for example, for Walt Disney in particular, what has made him an example that you think is worth following? Uh, many things. And I'll, I'll first debate you a little bit on Walt being a showman. As a person who's studied everything Disney and everything Walt, Walt was known when he was trying to convince his Imagineers or his animators to come up with a concept, he would actually act out an entire scene. So how Snow White came about, which was one of the most remarkable films and what it did compared to what was normal in that time, he actually acted out the entire script of Snow White by himself to all of his animators and the people part of his team so he could convince them to be a part of it. And so what Walt did is he had this vision that was, I believe, second to none. He was able to deal with so much adversity and what he went through growing up, going through the industry, having to mortgage his house and you know, literally having his ideas taken from him, running out of money numerous times, that didn't deter him. He had this belief and vision that he was going to create something bigger than life and larger than life. And he could go into a meeting of people and make them feel the same thing. And so when you look at vision and Walt, one of my favorite quotes from him is, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. He believed nothing was impossible. And what's so powerful about Walt Disney today is that many years after his death, Walt Disney, the beliefs, the core values, everything he believed in is still such a big part of the company. And most time when, when companies lose a founder, so does the heart of the company. And Disney hasn't done that because Walt was such a good storyteller that he could share the stories with everyone that they felt they were a part of the story. And so I look up to Walt as much or more than anyone. And I think that's what we're trying to do here is make people feel a part of the story and that they're actually creating it, even if we showed them the idea at first. Very interesting. And certainly if anyone has ever been to Disneyland or Disney World, you might know just the language of when all the employees, they're not employees, they're cast members. And every time that they're out and invisible to the guests, they are on stage. And so there's always that sensibility of we are creating something that's not about us. It's about the experience uh, that our guests have. Final note here, you talk about a lot of lessons in your book, Find Your Yellow Tux. And again, I think sometimes people may be inspired by your, by the yellow tux, by the energy, by the crazy ideas and the fans, 4,000 of them dancing uh, in unison as part of this wonderful event. But again, a lot of people are in what would seem to them much more mundane businesses. So someone who's listening, who is an attorney or sells insurance or architects or people in the air conditioning and heating business. What are the things when you talk about bringing fun with professionalism and the things that people, no matter what their business is, that they can be their big takeaways 
for their own yellow tux? Well, first on, on professionalism, my staff always corrects me if I ever say, hey, we want to be professional here. And you go, Jesse, you hate professionalism. Everything you say, professionalism is boring and weird wins. So I would argue all these lawyers and different accountants that feel like they need to be professional, people want to connect with fun. They want to connect with people that they can relate to. And they want more grounded people. That uh, professionalism, I think, is dying. And I understand in the medical field, there needs to be obviously the safety, but people want to have fun. You know, I think about the singing dentist that's getting millions of views. He's a dentist, but he's actually singing songs about being a dentist and he's gone viral. He's not professional, but his business is climbing. And so, you know, I think when you think about what you're trying to do, go always back to how does it make people feel? And the advice I try to share with anyone that's helped me more than anything is be a sponge and not just your industry, but be a sponge in every other industry. We don't go to baseball conferences. We go to other conferences where we can learn from cruise ships. We can learn from the Ritz-Carlton. We can learn from different companies that are doing things exciting, like Cirque Soleil, the Globetrotters, Blue Man Group. And we constantly are writing down things and writing down ideas. So learn from other fields. Have fun. Don't worry about professionalism. And then the big thing at the end is start writing down. I believe everyone every day should write down ideas, should write down things that are on their mind. When you write things down, that's how you make them happen. Jesse Cole. And by the way, what is off-season? Because we're recording this. We're not in baseball season, but you're certainly not standing still. <laughs> yeah, as you know, I always say stop standing still, start standing out. The off-season is much our showtime as anything. This is where we prepare to put on the best show at the stadium. So we do have events at the ballpark. We've done some crazy events. But really, it's where we're working on our content, our video strategy, our brand. You know, I, I'm so adamant that companies shouldn't be out selling. They should be entertaining. They should be teaching. So we're focusing right now on interviewing fans, videotaping our stories, our fan stories, and sharing them and getting ready to put on a hopefully the best show ever this summer. And 2019 will be even better as the waiting list grows. Jesse Cole, hey, thank you so much for taking some time here in your busy, quote unquote, off season to speak with us. The book is called Find Your Yellow Tux, How to Be Successful by Standing Out. Check out some of the videos. Check out the Savannah Bananas. You'll have lots of ideas from the book and uh, and all of that and how you can help your own business. Jesse, I might go onto your site and get a hat, but I will make no promises about buying any of that underwear. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'll tell you, I truly appreciate what you're doing because storytelling is everything. And companies and people need to know how to share their message. It's the quickest, best, and most efficient way to grow a business. And I love what you're doing and putting out your message. Jesse Cole, thank you again for being on the Manage Your Message podcast. Thank you. There's a lot to draw from in our conversation with Jesse Cole. I had these main takeaways myself. First, the importance of finding the thing that frustrates or disappoints customers in your industry today. About telling your story, helping your customers feel that they are special and that they're part of something bigger. And the importance of reinforcing that idea consistently. Jesse talked about how Fans First isn't just the name of their company. It's something that they talk about every single day in the business. One of my speaking topics is loud, clear, and growing. How businesses stand out through everyday messages. And a big takeaway there is you don't necessarily need to be zany or even an extrovert. But you can still find the right message and build upon it to grow your business, sometimes dramatically and quickly, the way that Jesse has done with the Savannah Bananas. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe, and please, if you will, take a brief moment to rate and review the program. Five stars are the ones that matter. 
That makes it easy for other professionals to join the fun. For more insights you can use in your business, I offer the Message Manager Memo. It's a free weekly email with practical tips, a short read, and you'll actually enjoy seeing it in your inbox. You can sign up at jimcarr.com. That's K-A-R-R-H. And I look forward to talking with you directly. Any ideas you have for this podcast or for the Message Manager Memo, or perhaps you know of an association or company that would be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker, you can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.